Blow Wang's a horror called Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's our first original versus remake of the year. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's more excited than that. Yes, first one of the year. <laughs> first one of 2022. Yes. And I think we have definitely kicked it off in style. Yeah. Might seem a little early, but obviously we wanted to have it prepared for February the 14th. Yeah, basically. That and Chris has February and he's always indecisive, so I thought I'd, I'd just go ahead and pick it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, because you've already picked next month's one, which I'm also very excited about. Um, but before I go off on a tangent about what we're doing next month, for yes. I believe that's the end of the episode, uh, this month we are discussing both versions of My Bloody Valentine. Yes. Um, two good films. Yes. Yeah, yeah, two decent films. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I have nostalgia gaggle, goggle, gaggles? Nostalgia goggles on when it comes to the remake. Um, I yeah. think it's, I mean, I, I think it's great. I could watch it again and again. It's so much fun. Um, but when you analyse it for a podcast, you see certain faults and certain things. Uh, the original is, I hope there is one of the best slasher films for me. Well, let's be clear. Neither of them are reinventing anything, no. really. No. Um, they're very much in keeping with the slasher tropes in the early 80s and then into, you know, the 2000s. Um, so they're not reinventing the wheel here, but it didn't need reinventing. No. It just needed to be fun and it needed to be camp and uh, yeah. it needed to be bloody and... Ticks all those boxes. Yeah. So before we get on to the films, uh, we have our socials catch up. Uh, for one of the first times, I've actually had to cherry pick the comments because we've had so many of oh them. So keep them coming in. Uh, Spiderpunk Triple Two on Instagram says he freaking loves Trog, one of the greatest trash classics ever. With Michael Go chewing the scenery and Miss Crawford thinking she's still on the set of Mildred Pierce. While smashed on vodka, selling Pepsi, and whacking everyone who crosses her path with a wire hanger. You guys have great taste. <laughs> I mean, first of all, thank you. Uh, second of all, thank you for the greatest comment we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up, to be fair. We, we spent, you know, an, over an hour discussing it, and you've just summed it up in one go. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, the Salty Hyphen Body on Instagram said uh, that uh, they love the original My Bloody Valentine. Um, but I do enjoy watching the remake too, but the characters in the original are the greatest. Yes. I don't think it's the most... If, if highly underdeveloped. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, uh, honestly, the only thing stopping it from being a complete perfect slasher for me. I just felt like the characters could have been developed a little bit more. But they are still entertaining characters to watch. Yeah. Um, a little bit of behind the scenes of the podcast. Um, when we do original versus remake we copy and paste Wikipedia and add our own little notes to it. It keeps everything going a little smoother and hopefully less tangents. Um now you love the tangents. Um so when I copied and pasted Wikipedia and added my own little notes to it, half the characters I had no fucking clue where they were. Like, <laughs> died now I mentioned them before but they're so much fun to watch I mean TJ is so gay um, and obviously we're living for that of course you know us um, and then you got the guy in the moustache who looks like he's straight from the Muppets he's great uh, 
you know oh lord yeah really um, is it Waldorf Wallace. from Waldorf well is it Wal- Wallace or the old man His with the moustache in the film the oh, old man with yeah. the, the old yeah. man with the moustache I don't know oh, I, I think don't it's Waldorf it might from, be, yeah. from the Muppets that is, he looks just like it it's he's, great yeah he's serving Rob Reiner realness um, yeah I mean completely underdeveloped but a lot of fun to watch um Rick on Facebook said Patsy Kenzie uh, has made some right stinkers and recommends that we check out Time Bomb with her and Michael Bean. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm up for it. Time Bomb. I look. I did look, and it's very. It looks very on brand for us. Is it just about a bomb that's timed? Uh, time Bomb. I mean, yeah, potentially. Probably. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, but the poster alone. I'll see if I can uh, get the, uh, the the poster to show you. Did you just Google Time Bomb Patsy? It's the quickest way. I don't want to be unprofessional. <laughs> um, Eddie is recognised... Oh, hang on. There's, well, I mean, the poster oh, has okay. some sort of cyborg being hooked up to something. With, yeah. Uh, Patsy Kensett looking miserable. Um, That's pretty on brand for us, yeah. Michael Bean looking like he's actually trying. Uh, the... Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, I think Patsy is trying. <laughs> I think that's the point. The plot is Eddie is recognised on TV after rescuing two. What? <laughs> a to group, what? A group tries to kill the peaceful watchmaker. Why? He sees a cute analyst. Oh my god, yes. We have to do that. What's that even mean? I wonder who the cute analyst is. What's Could it be the lead mean? singer of Eighth Wonder? The lead singer of Eighth Wonder. Star of Holby City and Emmerdale. <laughs> Uh, but Eddie is recognised on TV after rescuing two what? Like, the, this is the actual IMDb exactly. premise. I am... After rescuing two. You know, don't leave us guessing here, guys. <laughs> you yeah. have to watch it to find future out. Future podcast film. Um, David on Twitter prefers the original My Bloody Valentine, still likes the remake. Jiggy's Horror Corner on Twitter says uh, they don't dislike the remake, but the original has a special place in their heart. Um, when they first brought it, they watched it three times within two weeks. One of their favourite slasher films after Halloween. They love the vibe, and again, the characters. A lot of feedback on these characters in My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, I mean, there's standouts, but then there's not standouts. <laughs> yeah. um, Epic Film Guys on Twitter says both uh, My Bloody Valentines are fun, but nothing touches the mean-spirited original. And it is. It is a very is mean-spirited yeah. slasher. Um, Stu World Order on Twitter says, uh, honestly, the remake is better. Stu World Order. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, the remake is better. If it wasn't obsessed with doing the really cheesy 3D shots, it would be a genuinely great horror film. It's, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, and uh, finally, Nathan from I Hope You Suffer podcast on Twitter says, uh, Theodore X low-key rules. And uh, when he had to choose a dinosaur film for their Patreon episode, uh, he chose Theodore X instead of Jurassic Park. A dinosaur. <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, no, of course it's a dinosaur <laughs> film. I was like, if you if you told me, choose a dinosaur film. <laughs> I suppose it would be Theodore Rex. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Primal Species Two. <laughs> what? Do you remember two? that film you'd always get oh for free with everything? Wasn't that like called Carnosaurus? Carnosaurus or something. Carnosaurus Rex. Do you want to tell that back? There were loads of dinosaur films you could choose. <laughs> the world the animal be. world from Theodore Trump. Rex, definitely. What about the animal world? 
Well, <laughs> I'm assuming in 1956 that was like, oh my god. Unless you want to class Trog as a dinosaur effects. film itself, because of that scene. We put respect on Ray Harryhausen's name. Um, yeah, keep all the comments coming in. Uh, as I said, I didn't get to read everyone's out, but contact us on social media. We're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. Talk to us about My Bloody Valentine. Tell us your favourite uh, female horror directors, because we're doing a bit of women in horror next month, so just talk to us about anything. Any old it's shit. Just, uh, you know, we don't get out much, so it's, it's nice to have people <laughs> talk to, to talk us. to. <laughs> uh, and then you get my stupid voice reading it out on the podcast. Lucky you. <laughs> if you really lucky, I might read them out next time. Oof, bloody hell. I know. Right? We're going to be indicted. Um, so, poll results. Oh. 1981, 78%, and 2009, 22%. Uh, yeah, I mean... That's about right, with, with this one, you... There's no right or wrong answer. The, the thing is, as a direct comparison, yeah, the original is better. Yeah, and but in terms of comparison to other slasher films, the remake is still good. Yeah. So yeah. So starting off with My Bloody Valentine, nineteen eighty one, directed by George Mihalka, uh, Mihalka. <laughs> you <Yeah>. what? <laughs> Okay, let's be respectful to the man here. <laughs> it's not his fault, his surname's hard to pronounce. Um, he directed Pinball Summer, Scandale. Pinball Summer? Yep, Scandale. Like Scandal with an E. Yeah, I, um, think, I think that's like a Frenchy way of saying Scandal. <laughs> scandal. Hostile Takeover, The Adventures of William Tao, Psychic, La Florida, Deceptions 2, Edge of Deception. Ah, ah! <laughs> I can't wait for Deceptions Three, the Queen Bitchy Deception, starring the final Scream Girl, uh, Relative Fear, Bullet to Beijing, Watchtower, and many more. For a look of IMDb, I Demical is a very well received. Something both directors of these films have in common. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I can honestly say I've never heard of any of those no. films, but Pinball Summer is now on my watch list. <laughs> Budget two point three million Canadian dollars, I am told by IMDb. Okay, yes, this is a Canadian production. And worldwide it made five point six million dollars. For eighty one uh... That's not great, um, I don't think. Yeah, so it didn't get a sequel. What's your backstory with this one? My backstory is um uh, what is my backstory? Oh yes, of course. Um, there is a band here in the UK, and I'm sure I'm sure they're they're fairly big in the I'm places. sure they're known. They were on the. I'm, I'm sure they were on some sort of Sofia Coppola soundtrack, uh, called My Bloody Valentine, and I love their music. Love it to this very day. One of my favorite bands, and so I obviously did a little research online and found the film. A slasher film and it was pretty on brand for me um years and years i couldn't find it it wasn't available on a dvd or it was too expensive on ebay or and whatnot this that and the other and the remake came out um at the cinema and i, I saw the remake first and um i thought it was pretty good you know it was enjoyable uh, and then eventually got around to watching the original 
um, finally managed to get to, um, um, there must have been a re-release, or I don't know, uh, but I finally managed to get a hold of um, the film. Yeah, the maybe maybe oh, the no, butchered yeah. version. I shouldn't say that. It would it would have been the butchered version. Yeah, yeah it's definitely the cut version. Yeah, I mean for me again, I think it was rated fifteen. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, that's still being sold in UK stores. HMV uh, have recently done a new cover for it, I think, and it's still a fifteen. And cut. So it's still cut. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So we we're lucky enough to have a region free Blu-ray player, uh, and we have the Screen Factory uncut release and. Easily within top ten favorite Blu-rays we own. Um, this is a gem. Really, yeah, they have done it. Justice. Absolute gem. If you have a region A Blu-ray player, if you're in America, even um, buy it. It is great because uh, sometimes when they when you get an uncut version of an eighty slasher film, like Silent Night Deadly Night, you know, another great release, but you can see a slight change in quality for the uncut scenes. This is just flawless, like from start to finish. The transfers amazing. Yeah, yeah actually, it's. And the uncut version is the version to watch. You, you're watching half film if you're just watching the theatrical version because it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. It, it really doesn't. Like, the theatrical release, I really liked it years ago, but then I really appreciated it when I watched the uncut version. Yeah. If you're not watching Untucked, you're only getting half <laughs> Shut the story. The fuck up. Um, my backstory, again, um, remake first because I hadn't even heard of this. And I was a big slasher fan, but... It wasn't... If I'd heard of it, it had been in passing. It, it wasn't... No one was making a big deal out of it. Um, I think it, it, it's got a cult following. And I think that cult following has grown since the remake. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a great film. The remake uh, was my first 18 rated film at the cinema. I was 16. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, and it's like I was saying to Chris yesterday, you know, the time that I was... the you know, I thought I was the shit. I was so cool, you know, I'll go and see an 18. And I went to see a few um, 18s whilst not 18. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I could go see 18s. And now you look back, you're like, okay. Looking older at that age was a little depressing, actually. <laughs> Bless Sean. Someone thought I was 35 when I was 23. So <laughs> Some people look older when they're younger, but then don't age. But it was an advantage. I mean, it was an I'm advantage. Not one you know, of them, but wow. that happens to some people. Thanks. Uh, I mean, it was an advantage. It was great at the cinema. Um, I, I went to see it with my dad, and because the three D technology, because this was the first big three D film, right, with the real D technology. In terms of horror, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think many films because when we went to see it, it was new. The the technology was new at the local cinema. Um, so much to the point that it cut out and cut out 10 minutes of the film. Uh, we just completely missed and it just started again after. And then we got free tickets to go see it again. Thankfully, it was the massively extensive nude scene. <laughs> Feels like it goes on forever. Yeah. When you stand <laughs> next to your dad, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, no, it was great. And I was big into Supernatural at the time. Um, so I was very excited to see Jensen Eccles in the film. And then... Sam Winchester himself, um, Jerry Padalecki, was in Friday the 13th a month later, which I also went to see. So. It was the same year. It was a good time to be a Supernatural fan and a Slasher fan. 
Yeah, that's my exciting story. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Enjoy. Do with that information what you will. Trivia. In an interview with Terror Trap, director, uh, the director said that the shooting location at the Sydney Mines, uh, Nova Scotia, uh, was chosen... Nova cho- Scotia. Nova Scotia. was chosen because of its ru- uh, rustic, atmospheric appearance. Is that Canada? Yes. Yeah. Uh, however, when the locals found out that a movie was to be shot there, they decided to spend $50,000 to have the mine painted and cleaned. Oh, no. Completely going against the purpose as to why they chose it. Um, so, the production wanted the location, obviously, because it looked rough. So, $75,000 of the film's budget was then used to return the mine to its original state for shooting. Oh, God. Um, according to makeup effects artist Thomas R. Berman, uh, someone who definitely deserves a mention here because he does a fucking great job uh one of his gore, uh, gory creations was realistic enough that direct that the director threw up at the sight of it oh it's maybe you should be making a horror film if you can't stomach <laughs> it i've seen the rest of his filmography i don't think he's used to making horror films quentin tarantino said my blue valentine is his all is his all-time favorite slasher film he said that about at least 20 <laughs> slasher films. One of the makeup designers once shipped a dummy corpse to the set in a coffin, which caused much alarm when it arrived at Canadian Customs. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, the producers said the film's origin came about when they sought to find a holiday where a slasher film had not been set on during the slasher flick bloom of the early 1980s. Um, they set out on Valentine's Day, and in order to keep the secret, the idea from being copied, they made the film's working title the secret, though they had the release title in mind the whole time. Yeah, it's a great title. Yeah, it is a great title. Um, it's quite telling that they were like, "Oh, is there a holiday that hasn't been used for a slash film?" This is still like nineteen eighty one. So they must have been thinking about this. Yeah. In 1980, and thinking, oh my god, all the holidays have been used up. Because literally, after Halloween, it's just... They throw them out there, yeah. willy-nilly. All these slasher films, there are so many. 1980, 1981, really, it's just a, such an immense number of slasher films. Yeah. I mean, we think we've watched a lot, but there's probably still oh, dozens yeah. that we haven't seen. Um, that you could class as a very early 80s slasher film. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, 1981 in particular was a very good year. Wasn't it the same year as Happy Birthday to Me, Friday the 13th Part 2? Uh, was the Burning that year or was that the year before? Burning was 81, I think. Yeah. yeah. What a year. Yeah. Um, and, and many, many more. Many more. The director approached Paramount in 2001 with a synopsis for a sequel, but due to poor box office records of the original film, they declined... Yeah. Which is a shame, because this really should have got a sequel. I, th- I Yeah, it's kind of sets itself up for a sequel, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, even the remake, that should have got a sequel. Yeah, I suppose so. You yeah. know, when you think about the time when both of these films were released, 1981 was the beginning of Friday the 13th, and the sequels, same was the same year as Halloween 2, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sequels were becoming a thing... Uh, 2009, you were way in the midst of the Saw films. You know, one every year. It started Paranormal Activity that year. So, sequels were the shit both times. But not to slasher films. Like, how well did My Bloody Valentine 3D do? But not the original, though. I mean, obviously, as we just said. 
slasher sequels back then. Oh, yeah, of course. Booming. But the, the thing, bad box office. Yeah. The whole idea is that slasher films were very cheap to make. Yeah. And made money. That's I mean, true. if it doesn't make enough money, it's like, well, we'll go on to the next yeah. one. Yeah. And then you end up with graduation day or whatever. According to an interview by The Terror Trap, uh, the composer, Paul Zaza, spoke about wanting to create a different kind of music motif for each of the individual murders, as well as making the music have a dripping, damp, creepy sound to it, like in the mindset in itself. He also stated that the end credits song, The Ballad of Harry Warden, was written because the movie's producers wanted a song that could be a hit single on a vinyl record, <laughs> but they ran out of funding, so The Ballad of Harry Warden was written instead. Most of the soundtrack uh, was never commercially released, which is a shame, still to this day. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good soundtrack. Not going to lie to you, sometimes I struggle to remember soundtracks. I This one stands out to me in particular because it'll go from um, happy banjo music one minute to creepy atmospheric slash of the next like yeah. within the flip of a coin it's it's great i mean there's your obvious choice ones that are you know embedded in your mind um you can't forget them but generally it, unless it really stands out I, I do forget about soundtracks uh, according to the director the actors and extras playing minors in the group shower scene were genuinely naked even though they're filmed from the chest up yeah we know the sound effects gave it away. <laughs> we'll get on to that, but, um, yeah. Body count 12. Method acting. Body count 12. Okay. Uh, as the director has stated many times, roughly nine minutes of footage had been cut from My Blue Valentine to secure an R rating instead of an X by the MPAA. Uh, in result, most, if not all, gory scenes had been cut uh, because of the backlash against Friday the 13th and John Lennon's murder. Uh, in 2009, a special edition of the film was released with most of the gory footage put back into the film. The only footage missing is the on-screen impalement of Michael and Harriet. And when John discovered Sylvia's corpse, there was originally supposed to be a shot of the water coming through Sylvia's uh, turning blood red. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, which was said to have deter deteriorated over the years, that footage. Um, even though a still of the Sylvia scene can still be seen online with a very fake-looking dummy, um, despite six minutes of footage remains missing, uh, George uh, Mihaka said that those six minutes were only expository footage, uh, like character development and other non-violent scenes. Um, maybe we could have done with the character development yes. um, and not gory footage. Uh, and that's the end of the sentence, by the way. I'm not saying we don't need the gory footage. We yeah. need the gory footage. <laughs> George says the 93 minute version is uh, 80 to 85% of the way of how it's meant to be. And uh, it's the way the film was meant to be seen, even despite the grainy quality of the cut footage, which has now been fixed with the Screen Factory. Release. Yeah, it's, it's really not that bad. I mean, you can kind of tell, um, but if you're looking for it, essentially. Star Neil Affleck said the identity of the film's killer was kept a secret even from the cast because the filmmakers liked the idea of the mystery being real amongst the actors. However, Affleck figured out that he was the main killer, uh, the main killer, the killer, when after being cast, he was sent to the makeup perfects department to be fitted for a fake arm that had been ripped off uh, the killer in the film's finale. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, on to My Bloody Valentine 3D. 2009, directed by Patrick Lucia, the director of The Prophecy 3, The Ascent. Wow. 
Dracula 2001 trilogy. Now, there's one. Do you remember Dracula 2001? No. It had uh, Robin from Batman and Robin in it. Uh, Chris O... Chris O'Donnell? Chris O'Donnell. No. That is absolutely a podcast film and we'll abs- not, we're not doing any bullshit sequels, but absolutely have to do Dracula 2001. That, that is nostalgia right there. It's shit. It's, it's, it's shit. It's obviously shit. Um, but it was very much post-Scream Dracula. Oh, is that what it was going for? Yeah, that's absolutely what it was going for. Okay. I mean, it's Dracula 2000 in America. I think... Wes Craven Presents as well, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got mixed up. Um, I think I used to get it mixed up with John Carpenter's Vampires. Yeah. Uh, uh, the sequel to that. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, actually, Chris O'Donnell's not in it. Someone who looks like him does. But it's got oh. Christopher Plummer, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, Gerard Butler... Vitamin C. Vitamin C, the one that did the graduation yeah. song. Yeah. Jennifer Esposito, Omar Epps, Sean Patrick Thomas. Oh, okay. I see what they're going for. Yeah. Um, and it's about a group of thieves who break into a chamber expecting to find paintings, but instead they release the Count himself, who oh, travels no. to New Orleans to find his nemesis' daughter, Mary Van Helsing. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, riveting. It, it it's it's great, uh, in in the shittest way possible. Um, white noise, the lights. Do you remember white noise? That fucking got ripped apart, and rightfully so. Was it Dennis Quaid? No, Michael oh. Keaton. Ah, oh. and ghosts. Um, the shite you used to watch. <laughs> Drive Angry 3D. <laughs> Speaking of which, Drive Angry 3D is fun. I'll I'll, I'll stick with that. It's got Tom Atkins. Some counts as Tom Atkins. Wait, um, drive, drive Angry 3D? Is that a sequel to Drive Angry? Same film. Oh, Drive Angry was in 3D? It was in 3D. Oh, I see. Same director as this. Um, Trick, which we watched at Fright Fest. Oh. It was shit. Um, episodes of Screen, the TV series, which I loved. Episodes of Into the Dark. And episodes of the Purge TV series, which was good. Yeah, we never watched season two of that, no. did we? we? never got around to it. Um, Scream, the TV series. I remember watching the first one, uh, first season. Is it... I thought it was all right. Um, how many seasons are there, Scream? Two. Uh, no, three. three. I was I was addicted. I loved the first two seasons. I didn't bother with three because it's meant to be absolute bullshit. I guess the kid are really early Yeah. Um, in the first season. I, I, that, sometimes that really puts you off. Because at the end you're like, oh, it's a bit deflating, isn't it? Yeah. Budget of $15 million and it made $100.7 million worldwide, oh, but didn't get a sequel. Did not get so a sequel. So strange. Um, so starting off the trivia, the big thing about this film that a, a lot of people go to straight the away. Most, for me, this was the most memorable part um, of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Betsy Roo's in this. <laughs> Betsy Roos, star of Lucky Bastard, a film that I think I'm the only person on the planet who's seen it. You keep and you were doing it yesterday when you were talking about Betsy Roo as if she was an you know, no insult to her. She's a a, a lovely actress. <laughs> no, but I mean, you kept talking about Betsy Roo as if she was a household name. Yeah, because like... she played a porn star in a film that got attacked by a super fan because he won a competition to sleep with her. So you were the only person who watched this film. <laughs> I was 
keeps going about this bit. She really the fuck. She was the only reason yeah. I watched it. Um, yeah, no, it's not good. Um, in an interview, Betsy Rue was asked if she regretted filming the extended scene where she's running around the motel parking lot totally naked. She said, no regrets. It was amazing. And I think... That... Why did you say totally naked? Like, busted. Uh, go to. Okay, yeah. <laughs> totally naked. Because <laughs> how's in my notes? Say it like you're singing Year 3000. Um, she said, no regrets. It was amazing, and I think that I would have had some regrets, uh, but the reviews were so much fun from it. Well, I mean, Betsy, come on, of course it were. <laughs> hey. What was the audience? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. The Hollywood Reporter Variety wrote up some amazing reviews, and uh, they made me feel really good. That was the whole point of what I wanted to do. Like, okay, I'm going to be naked, so I better be good instead of just being naked. Uh, I wanted the audience to forget about the fact that I was naked running around the parking lot getting killed and actually have them be scared for me. And from the reviews and the feedback that I got, I think that's what I managed to achieve. That was my main concern. I don't want to be this naked chick running around just for the sake of running around naked because we all know that's what happens in horror films. Yeah, I was the naked girl, but for my sake, I hope that I brought a little more to it than just being a screaming naked girl. She also said in a separate interview that it was her idea um, because... Uh, and, and it was also her first nude scene, by the way. Um, according to her, after she was cast, they wanted to make sure that I was going to be more comfortable, uh, to be comfortable with everything before I did it. So I knew what it entailed before I went in, and actually the end product was a lot more than they expected. Uh, when you're watching the movie, if you look at the part where I take the gun out of the purse before I come out into the parking lot, I grab a sheet off the bed. We did this many times with the sheet and it just wasn't working. So I said, forget the sheet. I'm leaving the sheet behind. So that's how I ended up getting so much more nude. I said, forget it. If you want this, I'm going to go balls to the wall with it. And here it is. Because as an actor, I just felt a lot better for getting the sheet. I felt like it was more real. I felt like it was in my reality. I was like, I would not be worried about this stupid sheet right now. I just want that tape back. Do you know what? Go on, girl. Yeah. Props to her. Two, two parts to my uh, <laughs> opinion on that. Number one is props to her. You know, she turned around. It's not the biggest role in the film. Um, one of the better performers. But she film. makes it memorable. But she does make it memorable. Yeah, she, she's genuinely one of the better... She's got a massive amount yeah. to do acting-wise. Compared to some of the other actors but, in the film. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, her eyes stay focused for a star. <laughs> um... <laughs> The worst part of this film is the acting, I have to say. And she does well. She's a yeah. standout. And do you know what? I commend anyone who turns around, if I'm going to be the naked chick in the film, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the most memorable naked chick yeah. that there ever was. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if somebody says naked chick in a horror film, automatically my mind goes to her. Yeah. You know? And secondly... This film has body parts being ripped off. Yeah. Pickaxes through the head. You know, even... During this sequence. During this (laughs) sequence. Even, you know, um, spoiler alert, Tom Atkins gets killed. Yeah. And all anyone can fucking remember, and (laughs) I am guilty of this. I am guilty of this. But all anyone can remember is the naked chick. <laughs> it's like, really, how... And I, I certainly wasn't offended by it. But people, 
you know, are so caught up in the issues of nudity and sex on the screen when in the same films people are getting decapitated. <laughs> like, which, you know, where where do your morals lie? Why is one thing so, you know, morally bad, but the other isn't to see on screen? Well, not to mention the fact that the producer of the film, who's in the sex scene with her initially, gets his fucking ass and balls out on the screen. Yeah. No one mentions that. No. <laughs> and also, let's not get it twisted. Um, doesn't mean I want to watch the film with my parents. <laughs> I, I don't. Somebody's probably done a psychological essay. I I was it. genuinely I was gagged when I when I watched the full version after that bit was cut out of the cinema. I I could not believe what happens. Oh my god! Lucky escape for you because <laughs> it is super. I I don't know why it's so super awkward because sure again surely the violence should be super yeah. awkward to sit there and watch with <laughs> your parents, um. But seemingly it's not. And again, I, I think someone's wrote an essay on it somewhere some psychologist or freud did it um but it, it's a it's a weird part of culture really yeah. this and it, it is more in america to be honest um but here it, it's um where this whole sex is such a taboo subject mm. on the screen yeah but bloody murder isn't also, it's not even sexualized. Like no, even no, even the true. sex scene, the sex true. scene itself is played for laughs. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really. It does come across, and you know, it's a slasher film from two thousand and nine. It's really not that dramatic. It is more comical than anything else, really. Uh, overall, yeah. So yeah, no props to her. Good on you, Betsy. In 2009, the Australian Classification Board released its report, which shows the most complained about titles of the year. My Bloody Valentine was in the top five of a dozen complaints. Most of the complaints are about the film's gory violence. Oh, there we go. Although the, oh, film, carried the, high, although the film carried the highest rating available to a non-pornographic film, R18+, plus in Australia, many people who wrote in wanted the film completely banned. Australia, calm the fuck down. Jesus. Have you seen any other film ever? Fucking hell. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's gory, but come on. This is, again, this is released during the torture porn era. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if anything, the, the, the over-the-top death scenes are part of the comedy, you know? Yeah, for the, the 3D the purpose. Camp, black yeah. comedy yeah. nature of it. Which I, I will say, I'm not sure how deliberate that was, but that's how I mm. enjoyed the film. Uh, in March 2020, in an interview with Bloody Disgusting, writer Todd Farmer, who gets his ass out, um, revealed that himself and director Patrick Lucia both pitched a script for a sequel to the remake uh, to Lionsgate executives two weeks ahead of the film's release. Have, after the film received mixed reviews from critics, Lionsgate lost interest. The sequel would have been more psychological and would have brought back survivors from the remake as well as expanded upon its backstory. And the script also had Sarah Palmer being killed. Um, yeah, crit mixed reviews from critics. Yeah. It is, it is a weird one, um, particularly now. Yeah. At this day and age, when everyone's a critic. Like, I, I, I'm a critic because I'm sat here discussing a podcast. <laughs> uh, on a podcast. Mm. But um, what, what I mean is mixed reviews from 
critics, does that really outweigh big box office? If that was this year, if, if that was 2020, 2021, that film would have a sequel being made right this second. Because that's never taken into consideration anymore. No. Look I, at, I don't think so. Look at Venom. You know, Venom received so much hate from critics, yeah. you know, and it wasn't a good film at all. Um, but it made money, and it got a sequel. The sequel, loads of hate from critics, but it made money. It's getting a third film. This is how it works now. Is If it's making money, it's getting a sequel. And, yeah, and what I was touching on um, before is that now we're at the point where anyone can be a critic. Yeah. Um, really. Yeah. You know, there's so much, so many different ways of finding film reviews and it's hard to distinguish which ones would be classed as official like which ones i suppose it's rotten tomatoes really um but everyone can put their opinion out there Mm -hmm. you just have to find who you you believe or you trust the most whereas i suppose back in 2009 there were less yes the only the only way it's like you said, because of the high volumes of critics and whatnot, the only way a critic giving a film a negative review would affect its sequel these days is if the negative review is so bad to the point people don't go see the first film. Exactly. If if it affects its box office returns, then that's you're not getting a sequel. Exactly. And I, I don't think critics really have the power to do that anymore with big films. No. Would you think? I, I don't think so. I think we're very much in a day and age where people go and make their own minds up, which is great. I th- Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, and also, it's probably a good thing that it was like this back in 2009, because that also meant we didn't get a Nightmare on Elm Street remake sequel. Thank God. So <laughs> Did that do well? <laughs> I believe it did, yeah. Oh, it Let's face did. it, most of these remakes did well. Freddy vs. Jason did well. Like, the best of, yeah, you know... Uh, the whole of Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. So I'm surprised that didn't get a sequel. Who knows? It's the, the ins and outs of the business, um, the, the money side of it, um, doesn't interest me as much, if I'm being honest. So I, I, I tend not to take too much notice. Would you like to tell us what happens in My Bloody Valentine? Oh God, I absolutely love to tell you. Um, so we begin inside a mine shaft. A female miner takes off her gear in front of another miner. When the miner, as in, <laughs> let's make it very clear. When I say the word miner, <laughs> that well, that's the first time I'd said that out loud, and that did not sound right. <laughs> when I say miner, I mean coal mining or not a child not a child okay <laughs> so <laughs> it just did not sound right as it was coming out i was like oh no um so a female miner takes off her gear in front of another miner when the woman performs a strip tease the miner pushes her onto a mining pickaxe uh, pickaxe killing her um she's well, she's got a uh, distinguishing um, physical attribute, hasn't she? She has. She's got a tit tattoo. She's on got heart. a uh, heart where her heart is, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, on her breast. So this triggers the uh, the male miner, and uh, yeah, we get a really graphic kill. Yeah, the pickaxe goes right through her back and through the heart tattoo. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> bit on the nose. Uh, and then we get a lovely zoom in on her mouth. Yeah. To reveal the title card. And it's yeah. quite a nice title card, actually. There's, there's something a little different with it, haven't they? They've they've kept it on theme. Um, I don't know where she got her makeup on, but to wear a full mask and helmet... Yeah. And for that makeup to still stay intact, you know, well done. I, I love that this scene exists just to open the film. Like, no one has an idea who she is. No this idea never comes back. <laughs> no idea who she is. And, you know, um, spoiler alert, it's Axel that's the murderer in the end. Yeah. Um, I don't know what relation he would have with her, because Axel seems to be triggered by something else. Yeah. So, you know. It, I know, it's the heart, the heart triggering him is um, because of but watching his, his dad killing, killed on Valentine's But his day. killing was triggered by the party. True. Yeah, this scene has absolutely no connection to the rest of the film. It's, but it is do great. you know what? They wanted a lovely lady in her bra and knickers <laughs> to die. This could have been Harry point. Warden, actually. It could have been Harry Warden. Um, we see Harry Warden, though, and I don't think he could pull uh, <laughs> a fit bird like that. So, But anyway, uh, bless her. She tried her best to make the scene sexy. <laughs> Um, it is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Uh, we then cut to some shower time banter and, <laughs> and some cock slapping sound effects. Honestly, the loudest cock slapping sound effects you'll ever hear. It is it's really ridiculous. Weird. It is really why, strange. I mean, why are there cocks going <laughs> everywhere? They're barely moving. They're barely moving. <laughs> Are they slapping against each other? I mean, they're very close to each other. <laughs> Turns out, hunky miner named TJ has returned to town, but his ex-girlfriend Sarah has moved on with another hunky miner named Axel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we get from the uh, yeah. shower banter scene. Now, Mayor Hanniger of Valentine Bluffs, a Canadian mining town that we've already been introduced to, reinstates the traditional Valentine's Day dance, which has been suspended for 20 years. The young miners are excited about the dance, and I've got their names down. Don't know which is which, but I'll give them to you anyway. We've got Gretchen and Dave, Hollis and Patty, Sylvia and Howard, Mike, John, Tommy and Harriet, and also the aforementioned Sarah, Axel and TJ. And TJ happens to be the mayor's son. So we get a little romance, obviously. Yeah, there's a, this film oh, has a little triangle. triangle yeah. um, which makes it a little different to normal films. There's a bit... Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's romance. Um, but compared to other slasher films... This has one of the most romantic scenes of all time, Chris. It certainly does. On a cliff. With the most romantic music I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> So, the youngsters are setting up... I'm going to call them youngsters now, because it sounds a bit... It still doesn't sound that great. And also, not they're really they're not, not the young. The, I mean, they're not teens. I mean, fair play to the remake for keeping this tradition, but fucking hell. <laughs> they, they look older than their yeah. supposed years. Um, anyway, the guys and gals, they're setting up the hall for the big dance uh, and acting foolishly. 
Uh, Banton, Banton seemingly never takes a day off no, in this little doesn't. town, does it? Doesn't. Um, they scare the shit out of local resident Mabel. <laughs> um, Mabel, bless her. We barely knew thee. Um, but she's the town older lady. Uh, absolutely no idea. I don't know if she works at the laundrette or not. Um, she seems quite nice. She's like a golden girl. Um, so props to you, Mabel. Um, now, a little more tea for you, involving TJ. Turns out he tried his luck living big out on the West Coast, but it didn't quite work out for him. He does seem rather upset having to return to the mines, but, um, but the mayor's not too understanding, no. is he? So, oh, a smidge of a red herring there. Red herring? Red yeah. herring. Uh, anyway, Mayor Hanager and the town's police chief, Jake Newby, receive an anonymous box of Valentine chocolates containing a human heart and a note warning that murders will begin if a dance proceeds. I'm just, well, I'm assuming this heart, a human heart, later uh, identified as a, a woman. So, yeah. so maybe she was just a means to start it. Yeah. So he could get the original heart. Um... <laughs> Mayor Hannigan has quite the reaction, hasn't yeah. he? Oh! Oh! <laughs> it's happening again! <laughs> um, now, I'm going to spill even more tea for you, courtesy of a very intense barman. He gives us the backstory. Turns out the dances stopped 20 years ago after an accident in which two supervisors left five miners in the mines to attend the dance. Because they forgot to check the methane gas levels in the mining tunnels, there was an explosion that trapped the miners. Harry Warden, the only survivor, resorted to cannibalism to survive and went insane. The next year, he murdered two supervisors who left their posts the previous year, cut out their hearts and placed them in Valentine candy boxes, with a note from Harry warning the town never to hold the Valentine's Day dance ever again or he will commit more killings. Warden was placed into an asylum and the accident was eventually forgotten and told as a urban myth. So, um, very much standard slash affair, yeah. really. It's the crazy Ralph of the piece. Crazy Ralph. Uh, no one believes him, um, obviously, because this is a slasher film. Um, the guys then decide to sing a really obnoxious song about the barmaid Harriet. <laughs> And her supposed virginity. Yes, um, she's the Valentine's virgin. She's the Valentine's virgin. Uh, virgin. 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 Um, yeah, really obnoxious. She seems to enjoy it, though. I think she likes the yeah. attention. Uh, <laughs> that evening, Mabel is murdered by a mining gear geared killer in a laundromat. And her heart is removed. Yeah, absolutely iconic scene. It, this this is the memorable scene. This and is the one everyone remembers. When they when her body is found in the washing machine as well, that's even more iconic. Yes. Poor Mabel. I don't think, <laughs> do you think she just wanted to uh, get her end away with uh, the mayor? Well, she was very happy when she received the Valentine's box, thinking it's from him. Absolutely. But then he... I think he insinuated he was a married man. Um, so... If she's a golden girl, it's probably Blanche. Um, TJ and Axel get into an argument, one of many arguments. TJ suggests it's obvious Sarah is still in love with him. Uh, she's really quite obnoxious, actually. He's left town. 
Come yeah. back and be like, oh, she's clearly still in love with me. No, you're a knob. I mean, Sarah is clearly loving the attention. Um, right up until when she tells him about themselves. She, she, she's loving this love triangle. She's, yeah, she, in the next scene, she does have reservations about the dance. Um, but she might just be putting it on. And actually, she she likes men fighting over her. Who wouldn't? It wouldn't like, it wouldn't like two hunky miners to fight over you. Um, again, sounds really weird. But oh, okay. shit. <laughs> Newbie finds Mabel's body in the washing machine. Um, this is during the day, though. Yeah. So, I, how long was that spin on for? <laughs> Uh, because the scene is, and it's a really cool image of her charred body spinning, so it falls out and continues to spin, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Um, on the in the uncut version, we are talking about uncut now. Um, but you, you fucking get your money's worth, don't you? <laughs> that laundromat. <much, Matt. laughs> fucking spin have been going on all night. Uh, Axel and TJ argue again in the mine. Newbie publicly reports that Mabel died of a heart attack to prevent a panic. Hanager and Newbie then cancel Hanager. the dance. Oh, what did I say? Hanager. Hanager? <laughs> Hanager. Uh, where was you I? Contacts you contacts the mental institution. Me you contacts the mental institution Hanager? where... It's Hanager. Is that how they pronounce it in the they film? They say it 50 fucking times in the remake. It's Hanager. <laughs> This isn't the remake. Yeah, and, and in the original, it was Hanukkah. Anyway, <laughs> TJ practically forces Sarah to join him at the beach. He kidnaps After her. leaving work early. Yeah, she even says, don't, I don't, know. Um, but he takes her to the beach. Um, turns out he didn't write, he just left. Didn't write or call. Why didn't you write me, TJ? This is what I'm talking about. Why this, this is the most romantic scene of all time. This is, yeah, this is trying to be... Douglas Sirk. Eternity or something. This is, this is literally going Do to Douglas Sirk territory. How dare you? But, oh, I always wanted you, Sarah. Oh, TJ. Oh. Well, yeah, he declares... I love it when you kidnap me. Oh. He declares his love for her and they kiss. Uh, and I've just put here, this guy's an arsehole. <laughs> he really is. He, like, who does he think he is? Strolls back into town. You know, no wonder Axel became the murderer. I'm sure they, they blamed it on him seeing his father murdered. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure this bullshit with TJ didn't help matters. Um, the guys and gals decide to hold their own party at the mine. The barman... The barman... Oh, the barman warns them against it. But they just won't believe the poor old geezer. Um, for his troubles, the barman is killed after setting up a dummy wearing a minor suit. Oh, a now, this is a weird scene. It's great. He's such an idiot. Like, I mean, he's going against his own rules. You don't do that in a slasher film. Yeah. So, yeah, considering he's dishing out the uh, do's and don'ts, um, he goes to the mine and there's uh, some sort of outhouse or something or whatever, and he set up a dummy... Um, <laughs> Um, dressed as a miner to when they open the door to spring out and so he sets it up and he's really pleased and he opens it and laughs to himself opens it and laughs to himself opens it again laughs to himself walks off then goes back <laughs> to try again and it turns out it's the murderer and he gets killed um, pretty good kill 
ice uh, ice pick. Pickaxe is yep. swung into his chin and his eye socket, and he's uh, dragged away. Yeah, he gets the Tom Atkins, doesn't he? He does. Um, yeah, it's it's a good thing, but it, a dumb setup. Yeah, really. It's like why would he keep doing that anyway? Now we're on. Now it did say Saturday, February the fourteenth, didn't it? Yeah. Did I get that wrong? Which means the day before was Friday the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth. Uh, newbie is sent an actual box of chocolates from Mabel. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought she was after the mayor. She wants both. Maybe. Same time. It was, she wants a bit of that Sarah love triangle yeah. action, doesn't she? Um, now it's party time. Ooh. Not the most exciting party. But let's talk about TJ's outfit. <laughs> um, yeah. Double denim. Double denim. The is he wearing a scarf or something? No. Necktie. Necktie. He's wearing he a fucking... Uh, honestly, one of the gayest polka dot neckties I've ever seen. He is going to that party as a fabulous gay guy. He's just got the girl and now he wants he wants Axel as well, clearly. Um, he is just dressed in a fashion icon. Do you know what he's given? Paul Lind. In Paul Lind, yes. Yeah. Paul Lind. His shirt, his shirt, and does more and more as the film goes it on. It does. It does. <laughs> From this point on, it's uh, every time you see him, one button is to lose. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> um, the guys and gals are trying to pair off in a quite generic fashion, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, the miner brutally kills Dave by shoving his head in a pot of boiling hot dogs. <laughs> now, I know you're wondering who the fuck's Dave. I'm also wondering who the fuck's Dave. Dave's some guy at the party. Before sleepaway camp. Before sleepaway camp, yes. Although, sleep, I, I would say sleepaway camp did it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, newbie is sent another heart from the killer. The killer suggests a party is still going on. Big grass. Mm-hmm. Grass is muck. Yeah. Uh, Axel gets overly aggressive with Sarah and another argument with TJ. And so... <laughs> this is one this, thing. Okay. Like, oh no, my this God. is where she gets a backbone. And she's like, she gets both of you are twats. Fuck off. Sarah tells them both about themselves. Uh, TJ and Axel then proceed to get into a very camp fight. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> And Axel leaves the party. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Um, John and Sylvia have snuck off into the mine for some fun. Again, who the fuck is John and Sylvia? John goes to get beers as Dave's heart is discovered in the hot dog pot. <laughs> but, because we're in a slasher film, they play it off as a practical joke. And his body's in the fridge. Body it's in the fridge. Massive, yeah. uh, but John doesn't pay enough attention to find him. Because no. again, this is a slasher film. Which is mocked in Slumber Party Massacre. Yes, yeah. Uh, Sylvia, then trapped by some falling uniforms. <laughs> okay, now I need to set up this scene. So, she's alone in the mine. And suspended from the ceiling up high are all the uniforms. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when they're needed, they drop down and the guys get into the uniforms. Um, so the, the killer comes out and starts the quintessential slasher film chase and these uniforms keep dropping from the ceiling, mm-hmm. but she's acting as if it's like a brick or something, <laughs> isn't she? 
Like, it's like she can't just, like, brush past them no. and just get to the other side <laughs> and get the fuck out of there. Um, so it's a bit weird, but ends in a great death scene. So uh, she's eventually impaled on a shower head yeah. by the miner and then found by John. Um, I've put here in another great kill thanks to the uncut version released by Screen Factory. We've already shouted out them. Hopefully our checks in the mail. Uh, a few of the youngsters decide to go into the mines via the mine carts. Um, I think that that's what it's called, isn't it? A mine yeah. cart, like Donkey Kong. Well, um, if the killer didn't know they were coming down there, fucking does uh, now. Yeah, yeah. But before that, um, they decide to go down there to cheer Sarah up. Um, but TJ reminds them of the rules. No women in the mine. Yeah. <laughs> he literally. <laughs> So he, he's got an issue with them going down into the mine. Um, and it's like health and safety implications. Of course, you know, it's understandable. It's his father's mine. You know, he doesn't want anything to get broken. No, you know the rule. No women in the mine. Fuck <laughs> off. I just got in my notes, has anyone ever had this much fun in a mine? They're, just, they're going down there in the, in the mine cart. And they're like, whoa! Oh, oh. <laughs> like, it, they sound like they're on a roller coaster. Well, they're, they're acting as if it's... <laughs> you know, Space Mountain, uh, where it really <laughs> actually goes quite slow. Um, um, we, after this, I, I just have my notes, David is dead! <laughs> oh! So, yeah. When the others realise Dave and Sylvia have been murdered, they contact the authorities with the phrase, Dave is dead! <laughs> um, to which Angie replies... <laughs> Not that, David. My ex-husband. <laughs> um, and if you don't get that reference, I, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Axel and TJ enter the mine to save Sarah and co. And to commence the film's thrilling conclusion. I've written this very sarcastically, but it is, is quite a thrilling conclusion. Uh, the miner impales a large drill into Mike and Harriet. Yeah. And shoots a nail gun into Hollis's head. And you think, you knew the fuck's Hollis. Uh, Hollis is the Rob Reiner lookalike. Um, Hollis does manage to get get to the others before dying, um, unfortunately. Because this does also commence the I want to slap Patty round the face <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, Patty turns into Jen Shah for this, for the remainder of her does. screen time. <laughs> Hor- horrified. Howard flees in a very ungentlemanly fashion, just leaves the girls behind. Didn't Sarah call him a, a bastard or yeah. something? Oh, you shit. Uh, yeah, Patty suddenly becomes a waste of space uh, until Sarah gives her a slap. Uh, yeah, but she still continues. But then she continues. <laughs> I've literally got here, Patty suddenly becomes a waste of space too until Sarah gives her a slap. Oh, sorry, spoke too soon. She keeps whinging <laughs> about Hollis. Suggests they can't leave him there, even though he clearly weighed a considerable amount more than them. <laughs> and he's dead. <laughs> and he's dead. That's a dead weight. You know, no offence to the gentleman, but he had some extra timber on him. And the two ladies clearly weren't going to be able to no. drag him out of the mine. Um, Axel, Sarah, Patty and TJ tried to climb to the top. Um, because the mine cart doesn't go the other way. I don't know how these things work. Uh, but they climb, climb the ladder, but discover Howard hung from a rope. Um, and as the rope falls, he's decapitated. Yes. 
I mean, oh my god. <laughs> Fucking body falls from his head. Um, Patty is still giving Jen Shah screechy <laughs> Veronica Cartwright in alien realness. Um, while, while finding their way out, Axel drowns and Patty is killed by the miner. Hooray! Um, the miner chases TJ and Sarah, the, the killer, chases TJ and Sarah and a fight ensues. The killer is then revealed to be Axel, who faked his demise. A strangely to-the-point flashback shows that Axel's <laughs> father was one of the supervisors killed by Harry Warden. As a child, Axel witnessed Harry Warden murder his father, which traumatised him. TJ then hits Axel with a rock, resulting in the tunnel collapsing, which, tra- which traps Axel as newbie and the police arrive to rescue TJ and Sarah. The police explain to them that Harry Warden died five years earlier. TJ and Sarah hear a rescuer shout that Axel is still alive and they rush back to the scene. They watch as Axel frees himself from the debris by amputating his trapped arm. He runs deeper into the mine, shouting threats that he and Harry Warden will return and murder everyone in town and a mumbling about Sarah being his bloody valentine. The film ends with Axel laughing like a maniac as a ballad for Harry Warden plays over the film's <laughs> credits. I was so shocked when I first watched the original because obviously I'd seen the remake first and spoiler alert, the twist is reversed in that yes. one. Um, yes, that's true. Yes. Where the, that film's version of TJ is the killer. Um, so I was expecting that and when it was Axel, I was genuinely really surprised. Yeah, it's, it's an... In- it's an interesting one. The problem is you never really got to know characters enough to really figure out if they were a red herring or not. Yeah. It was just a slight thing. So it was just kind of like, well, this could be anyone and they'll explain it away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's an interesting idea. Um, again, people seeing violence as a child makes them into a killer. Yeah, it always happens in the 80s. So many slasher films with that premise. Um, I'm surprised nothing was mentioned about his um, love triangle situation, and that's why Yeah. Um, eventually he would, you know, try and kill TJ and so or kidnap so or whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it's a good film. It's a good, it's a fun film. It's a, as far as slasher films are concerned, it's up there with the best. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're a horror fan and especially if you're a slasher fan and you haven't seen it, then you are missing out because it is it is a slasher classic. Um, I'd say you know it's easily just as good as the first Friday the Thirteenth. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yes. Because the first Friday the 13th went aged terribly well. So, yeah. Uh, so, that brings us on to My Bloody Valentine 3D from 2009, where we open with a fancy 3D newspaper opening scene. Yeah, the full tea on Harry yeah. Warden is spilt from the <laughs> get-go. Uh, on Valentine's Day... Now, first of all, actually... You should probably say the 3D in this film, when you watch it in 3D, is really, really good. It is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, it, it used to be the red and blue um, 3D, but then 
back in my day. Uh, but then obviously they changed it up. And You're now, not that old. I don't remember it being bitch, red and blue. I watched blue. Spy Kids 3D at the cinema in red and blue. No. Yeah. Is that I how promise. Spy Kids 3D yeah. was? It was. It was indeed. That's why I think this was the first one in the real D. Oh my god. Yeah. I, maybe I just never went and saw a 3D film in the cinema. I, I love that gimmicky shit and, and this is really one of the best. Um, yeah, because I mean, if, if anyone by chance hasn't seen modern 3D, it is, it's like looking through a window um, because it's that clear. And it, it looks great. The 3D effects are great and it does that classic cheesy... 80s horror thing where every bit of 3D is, you know, it's made to look like it's coming at you. It's true. It's, it's, it's true. I love that, though. It's it's clunky, but it's funny. It, it does make me laugh each time. And you know what? Call me a sad bitch, but I've been known to pretend that it's uh, coming out of the screen. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my God. Ah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, on Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety seven, six miners again. Ninety seven. Yep, nineteen ninety seven. Six coal miners are trapped underground by a three D explosion at the Hannigan Mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the mining community of Harmony. Now that's the the big shot for the trailer where it looks like apparently like fires going above you. <laughs> if the trailer. Oh God, yeah. Is able to go by. Um, by the time rescuers reach the miners. Uh, they find only comatose Harry Warden still alive. Further investigation reveals that Warden killed the other miners to conserve oxygen. Tom Hanniger, son of the mine's owner and played by supernatural heartthrob Jensen Eccles, is blamed for the explosion as he forgot to vent the methane lines uh, that caused the collapse. So is he supernatural or is he from the show Supernatural? (laughs) From the show. Um... One year later, Warden awakens from his coma and murders numerous patients and staff, leaving a victim's heart in a box of chocolates. Whilst teenage Tom, his teenage girlfriend Sarah, their teenage friends Irene and Axel, Irene is introduced uh, when she takes a picture of uh, Tom and Sarah and says, Say over the pants hand job! Oh god. Um, but and that just a grope? Yeah. Um, and other teenagers party inside the mine. Now, now the funny thing is, the teenagers um, are all the same actors that we see later on in the film when we have a ten-year time jump. Yeah. Um, and they're made to look younger by dressing in what was considered to be hip clothes back then. When what nineteen ninety-nine would that have been? 1998. 1998. Yeah, so um, Jensen Ackles has a body warmer on. Um, Jamie King has, like, a cardigan and a a pretty much see-through white top. Kersmith doesn't have his beard, so that's how he's younger. That's, yeah. Yeah, and he wears a cool hat. It looks exactly like he looked in uh, Dawson's Creek. T-shirt with a long-sleeved T-shirt underneath, baggy jeans. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and Irene just looks the same as she does later on. No effort whatsoever. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, they're all partying inside the mine, like the fun teenagers that they are, even though they're all in the 30s. Um, Warden, wearing mining gear and a gas mask, attacks him with a pickaxe. He kills one teenager with a pickaxe through the back of the head, causing his eye to pop out in 3D. Another with a pickaxe to the jaw, 
and another with a shovel to the mouth, coursing half the head to slide down towards the camera in 3D. Yeah, she makes the mistake of running towards him, yeah. but not in like an aggressive way. I suppose it is the way out. She is running towards the way out. Yeah, but like right towards him. Well, there's no other way out. No, then you hide. Yeah, I suppose. Sarah, Irene and Axel escape after getting a 3D pickaxe to the windshield, but Tom is left behind with Warden. <sighs> Sheriff Burke, played by the icon that is Tom Atkins, uh, arrives and shoots Warden before he can kill the severely traumatised Tom. But Warden staggers away deeper into the mine. Ten years later, they are now all allowed to be fully grown adults and not like teenagers, Axel, now the town sheriff, has married Sarah, but is having an affair with her co-worker Megan, who he's managed to get pregnant. Bastard. Tom returns to Harmony after his father dies. He's selling the mine, which angers my, my, mince manager, mine manager Ben Foley. Tom goes to book himself into a hotel where Irene is having graphic sex with the film's producer and writer, whilst checking herself out in the mirror above the bed. She's, she's pleased with what she sees. She is. Um, we're also introduced to Slay Queen motel owner Celine, who has a framed picture of herself in her office. She does. <laughs> and her dog Lewis. Yeah, good old Lewis. Lewis, you little shit. <laughs> she she's an absolute icon, and it's a shame she only gets two scenes. That's true, actually. I wonder if the actress has been in anything else. She. Uh... Her name is actually Celine as well. Oh, um, okay. And her IMDb pitch looks very much like the one that's hanging up in her office. <laughs> um, Irene notices Frank, the man she just shagged, secretly filmed him having sex and chases after him with a gun in nothing but her heels before he is killed by someone dressed as a minor who then chases after her. The killer uh, kills poor Celine by lifting her into the ceiling with a pickaxe to the head. Oh, we got a, such a good death scene there. <laughs> it is. Poor Celine. Um, um, t- one thing that both these films have in common, men are dicks. Yeah. <laughs> men are real fucking arseholes. Yeah. And every man. Apart from Tom Atkins. Apart from Tom Atkins. Well, he's a little rude. And we'll get to that. But... <laughs> um, yeah, poor Celine gets it. Um, and Irene uh, <laughs> is killed with a pickaxe to the stomach as she tries protecting herself with a wired bed frame. Yeah, bless her. It's she tried so hard until that point. She really did. She was into survival. Um, was, she, was she wearing high heels? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but Betsy Rude does a good job, like we said earlier. Um, I think... I don't know, I suppose her being naked makes it feel more vulnerable. Yeah, it's an intense scene. It actually, yeah, it is, actually. Um, um, I mean, the bed frame idea wasn't the brightest, but it does help with the 3D, though. It gets some cool pickaxe shots going through the that frame. That is very true. <laughs> yeah, and then the killer just realises, oh, wait, no, I'll just go for the stomach <laughs> now. Okay. Camera footage from the scene reveals the killer dressed as a minor, starting rumours that Warden has returned. Yeah. Um, Axel dramatically finds the corpse and is like, poor Irene, they took your heart. Kill him with a screw loose. Wasn't the only screw. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know why everyone talks like they're in a fucking cop drama in this film. 
it's, it kind of is a cop drama. It's in, really. Well, I mean, it's in keeping with the melodrama from the original, so that's, that's great to see that continued. Um, Axel receives a chocolate box containing Irene's heart. Uh, meanwhile, Tom reconnects with Sarah and apologises for his 10-year absence. Looking for Foley in the mine, Tom is locked inside a utility cage by the miner who murders the worker accompanying Tom and vanishes before help arrives. Yeah, um, it's an interesting scene. Yeah, especially when you know the twist. Yeah, so the the twist is... Oh, oh my God, what's his name? Tom. Tom. Uh, the twist is... It's because Tom Atkins, it's confusing me. Um, the twist is Tom is the killer. And this is the scene, like, when it was revealed, I was, uh, in my head I was like, well, how the fuck are they going to explain that? Um, but <laughs> he makes a big deal of it. He's been locked in, but he just kind of just locks himself in. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so he's imagining watching himself killing yeah. the guy. Uh, by the way, uh, just to get it out there now, the mental health representation in this film is fucking dire. Not great. Even by 2009 standards. Um, Tom insists that Warden has returned, but Axel reveals that Foley and Sheriff Burke found and killed Warden after his attack ten years ago. The group visits the woods where Warden's body was buried, um, but finds that the grave is empty. Yeah. Tom resolves to track down and stop Warden. Searching the woods, he finds the shack that Axel and Megan have been using for their affair. And that night, the miner kills Foley... After Foley uh, points his gun at the audience in 3D, and one of the best 3D shots from any film ever, it looks so good. Um, he forces Harry, uh, Harry Warden, no, Tom, should we say, forces his head down onto the pickaxe and leaves his body in Warden's grave. Who? Foley. Which one was Foley? The mayor, not the mayor, the, the guy that's in charge of the town. He isn't a mayor, but... Oh, oh, okay, yes. Yeah, he gets a pickaxe for the head. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> but that's his house, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's left in, he's put in Warden's grave. Oh, he is, yeah. <laughs> so Keep up. Na- I'm sorry, there's so many names. Axel realises the killer must be one of the few people aware of the grave, and he becomes in- increasingly suspicious of Tom. The miner attacks Sarah and Megan, killing Megan and leaving her in an alleyway with her stomach and chest carved open just before Axel arrives. Yeah, a little tidbit about this scene. Um, The Betsy Roo scene I remembered. Um, But I also remember a jump scare at the supermarket. And I remember, because it worked on me, and it doesn't usually work on me, but I remembered it as a melon. (laughs) Um, and just like a melon rolling at the screen. We watched it this time and there was no melon. I don't know why I misremembered a melon jump scare. Um, it's a wheel of cheese jump scare. Uh, they got me. I mean, it looks similar. First time. I don't know, in my head, I remembered this film and uh, a melon rolling towards the screen. And it made me jump. <laughs> Sarah informs Axel that she isn't blind. I ain't got that many stories, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sarah informs Axel she isn't blind and is hospitalised with minor wounds. And she isn't just telling that, she's referring to the affair with Megan. Oh. (laughs) 
<laughs> she felt the need to tell her. <laughs> the miner then kills Sarah and Axel's housekeeper, Rosa, uh, puts her in the washing machine to recreate an iconic moment and kills former Sheriff Burke by ripping his jaw off with a pickaxe. Have we seen Tom Atkins killed in a film before? This one. I really don't think so. No. I don't think so. He's usually... Well, he's usually the, the guy that survives. Or, yeah. or the cop that survives. Um, one, one bit, Miss, when I said earlier that it, he's not the nicest guy, the scene at the bar mm. when they're trying to fight Tom, <laughs> yeah. um, Tom Atkins turns around and says, I just saved your ass, Hanniger, for the second time. Um, which I thought was a bit harsh, considering <laughs> the first time you were a cop who stopped him from being <laughs> murdered. He's like, I won't do it again. Like, um, no, you can't throw that in someone's face. If you're a cop who has done your job and saved someone, yeah. you can't throw that in their face ten years later. Being saved like, by Tom Atkins. Time? Being saved by Tom Atkins is a privilege. Didn't he get killed in Creepshow? Did he get killed in Creepshow? After he throws Stephen King's son's comic away. I always suppose he would... Well, yeah, he would have deserved it in that, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom shows up in hospital telling Sarah he has to show us something he found in Axel's cabin. She checks herself out and accompanies him. And as they drive, Tom suggests that Axel is the killer. Uh, Axel calls and urges Sarah to get away from Tom, whom he says is the killer... Axel has discovered that Tom spent the last seven years in a mental institution. Uh, Tom becomes increasingly agitated and Sarah, believing Axel, grabs the wheel and crashes the car before escaping into the woods. I, this is a really, really great scene because it really had me fooled in the cinema. I was convinced Axel was a killer. Yeah. Because of the way he acts, like when he closed that phone. I, it's not often you can say this, but I'm going to say it now. Kersmith gives the best performance in this film. What about Tom Atkins? Yeah, not counting Tom Atkins or Betsy Ruth. <laughs> but I, Kerr Smith, out of the main character, he, he does well. He does all right. it, Yeah, He does okay. He makes it believable that he's a red herring. He does. Um, we'll get on to the acting when we compare. Um, but, yeah, he's the best of a bad bunch, to yeah. be honest. Sarah hides in Axel's cabin. There she discovers evidence of Axel's affair and a tower of empty Valentine gift boxes. The miner appears and chases her into the mine. She is hiding in the mine when Axel arrives and Sarah grabs his gun. Tom shows up and Sarah holds a two-minute gunpoint as they each accuse each other of being the killer. Tom, however, mentions the way Megan was killed, inadvertently revealing he is the killer because no one told him she was dead. This is such a generic reveal of the killer, though. I, I was a little disappointed with this. Which is like, how did you know that Megan was dead? Like, this, this guy, and I, I know the idea is that um, he has mental health issues. And that's why he's the killer. We'll get on to that. Um, but also, he's evaded being caught this whole time. And then sometimes having to be quite stealthy and sneaky yeah. about it. And then he would just let it conveniently let this slip at this point. I just think it was so generic. Do you, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I absolutely gasped in a snow when it's happened. <laughs> but you, so was this during 
Supernatural being on TV. Oh, yeah, no, I was absolutely rooting for him the whole time. So, everything that you knew about slasher films, mm. like, he was probably the most famous guy in the cast. Yeah. Um, he, hunky teen heartthrob, you know, um, he should have been the final guy. Yeah. Um, really, him and Sarah. So, I suppose that's why you gasped. Um, obviously, we've watched a lot of films since then, <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, it's a, it's a little generic reveal. But, also, the fact, the fact that he's the killer is, you know, slightly gag-worthy. Yeah, yeah. Sarah points the gun at him, uh, and he starts to hallucinate, revealing the miner as a split personality. A flashback shows him digging up Warden's mining gear and committing the murders. After a struggle, Sarah shoots Tom and a big 3D bullet strikes a fuel tank, which explodes. Um, <laughs> biggest 3D bullet ever. God, yeah, yeah. Sarah and Axel are rescued from the resulting cave-in. Uh, Tom also survives murdering a rescue worker in a kill that was actually um, reenacted by Michael Myers in Halloween Kills last year. Like, exactly the yeah. way it's done. Uh, murdering a rescue worker who finds him and escaping in a worker's gear. Tom in his mining gear swings his pickaxe at the audience one last time for 3D <gasps> in a post credit scene. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I mean, it is, a, you know, regardless of the twist and a lot that can be said about it, it is a great ending that should have absolutely got a sequel. Yeah. It, at the end of the day, it could have been a lot worse than it was. And for a remake... In 2009, mm -hmm. that's high praise. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely, it, you know, I, I completely get why people wouldn't enjoy it. But for me, it's just such a fun film. I, I could watch it and be entertained, shut my brain off, um, which is what you need with a slasher film sometimes. And the fact that it's a remake that doesn't try and overdo the backstory as well, I really appreciated that. We didn't need a massive backstory about Harry Warden and his terrible childhood. Um, no. A la no. Halloween, Rob Zombie. You yeah. know, he, he, that was the big thing in remakes back then. They all had to have a big, elaborate backstory. That's yeah. not the case here. I mean, there's, there's a, a smidge for backstory, which was necessary. Yeah. About as much as you get in the original. Exactly. Um, and from then on, it remembers to be a horror slasher film. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. Yeah. So that brings us to our comparisons, starting with Cinematography, Scares, Kills and Soundtrack, 1981. Um, cinematography, it's a low budget film. It's budget is very clear, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. Um, it does what it needs to do. It's quite gritty. And um, it's a slasher film set in a mine. Yeah. So the grittiness helps. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to say, I think the low budget helps here. Um, it, it can be really atmospheric at times. Uh, I assume that's on purpose. Uh, yeah, the scenes in the mines and the scenes where in the killer's POV as well, like Mabel's death, it's really great. It's, you know, it's not exactly the brightest. They're not exactly the brightest scenes, but normally where that would be something we'd complain about, I think it actually works here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the whole tone of the film, it blends the atmospheric horror, the more gory, slashy horror, slashy, slasher horror, 
and the melodrama really well. Yeah, yeah. It it does work. It does work. The, the budget shows, but that's not why I am watching the film. No, but why you are watching the film is the brutal kills. Yes. Um, well done to um, this film for doing something a little different with the kills. Yeah. Um, the, the shower kill, the um, washing machine kill, you know, really well done. Um, well executed. Yeah, great practical effects. Great practical effects for the budget as well. Um, and memorable. Yeah. You know, you've got um, a couple of you know, all-time great kills, you know, and, and because and I, I know I keep going on about it, because there were so many of these films at the time mm. to really stick out yeah. like that, you know, well done. Yeah. Um, I put that the score, I thought, I thought the score was really good. I thought, like, I thought the score was good. Um, it, it was a good score. Um, it's more it says more about me than it does the film. That sometimes I do struggle no, you're, you're to right. remember soundtracks. You know, I mean, you look at something like uh, if you say to someone, uh, "A Nightmare on Elm Street," "Cannibal Holocaust," "Halloween," "Friday the 13th, they'll immediately, you know, they'd know the score exactly if they're a horror fan. Um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't hum you the My Bloody Valentine's score, no. but when you're watching the film, it's really effective in the execution of the scenes. And the Ballad of Harry Warden song is so cheesy and stupid that I, I just kind of love it. I asked you this yesterday, but I'll ask you again. Better or worse than the Ballad of Madman Mars? I think Madman Mars is better um, because the, the lyrics are more memorable. <laughs> Now that's a memorable score. <laughs> um, two thousand and nine. Uh, cinematography is fine. Uh, I think some scenes are definitely better as, better than others. It's it very looks much like a two thousand and nine. Yeah, it's the focus is on the three D. Yeah, that's let's face it. I mean, the cinematography itself, even that looks better when you're watching it three D. To to fully appreciate this film and how good it is, you have to see it in three D. Um, when you watch it in two D, you know. A lot of the faults stand out a, a little more um, than, than when you're watching it in 3D. Um, but the cinematography helps with the intensity, I find. Um, it's, it's, you know, the editing as well, especially that, the scene that I mentioned in the car when Sarah gets the call. It, it's really intense when it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, like you said, it is all about 3D. Yeah. Um, the rating for the film, in terms of enjoyment goes up a couple of notches when you watch it in 3D. Yeah. Um, this time around, when we watched it, we didn't watch it in 3D because the 3D glasses makes my laptop screen go a bit funny. Um, <laughs> but watching it in 3D is should really be the only way to watch it, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, the kills are just as inventive as the original. Yeah, really. you can obviously tell it's during that hostile yeah. saw period because they are bloody they are over the top um kills yeah very gory yeah and there's some really good practical effects here as well mm. um there's some dodgy cgi again 
watching it in 3D, that never really stands out mm. because those free, those CGI moments are what's coming out of the screen at you. Yeah. So that's not really what you're focusing on. Yeah. Uh, it just looks a little awkward when you're watching it in 2D. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's really good. Um, the 3D effects are great. Uh, the soundtrack sounds like it belongs in a modern cop drama TV show, much like the dialogue. I have absolutely no idea about the soundtrack. Really? I'm surprised, actually. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on that. I'd, uh, yeah, it probably did. Um, maybe. Maybe I should listen more intently to soundtracks. Especially especially when I know we're going to uh, discuss them on the podcast. But I, d- I don't remember a single thing about the soundtrack. Uh, but, I mean, overall, it's it's uh, some things are closer than others. But I think the original just outdoes it for me. Because, I mean, you know, as great as the practical effects are, it, you know, those are in 2009 with quite a hefty budget. Look at the practical effects in 1981 with a very low budget. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. That's I, really impressive. And I, I'm, a, I'm a real sucker for the, the retro style of yeah. those slasher films. In the early eighties, I I like that um, sort of look, and yeah. I like the slightly. I mean, the practical effects are great, um, but they're not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. and I I like that. That helps with my enjoyment of the film. This is this is the kind of thing I like to take away from these films. Yeah. Is a fun hour and a half. Yeah, and I think because you know. In 1981, they were trying to make a slasher film. Mm. I think uh, you know that benefits the cinematography as well. There's a little more thought put into it. Yeah. Whereas 2009, they were trying to make a 3D horror film. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So 1981 wins it on all accounts for me. Yes. Characters we have TJ in 1981 played by Paul Kalman and Tom played by Jensen Ackles in 2009. So, 1981, he's camp and mysterious for red herring purposes. I think out of everyone, he's the biggest red herring. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't help that he's always in a mood. So Yes. He's an asshole. He just rolls back into town thinking he's hot shit. Gonna take Sarah back. Because obviously Sarah's been pining over him for the last God knows how many years. Um, in both versions. In both versions. More so in this one, though. He practically kidnaps her. <laughs> um, yeah, again, in 2009, the car scene. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's because he's the killer. Like, TJ isn't actually the killer, which makes his behaviour even That's more... True. true. Uh, she runs off in the end, so... Um, he's played with great camp. Yeah. Um, and I also appreciate it, because obviously this is a Canadian slasher film and the, the actors are Canadian... But generally, they don't sound that Canadian. No. Um, us Brits, we're terrible at distinguishing between Canadian accents and American accents. Um, but a little bit of the Canadian came out when he was angry. Which I thought was <laughs> most of the film. <laughs> yeah. But just a little bit. There were certain phrases that sounded very Canadian. I will not do an impression because I cannot. Um but, yeah, I appreciated that. And his funny. outfit, I mean, how can you not love that party outfit? Oh, absolutely. Paul Lind. 
Poland bewitch. It, that entire um, argument during the third act of the party is given. How'd you like that, Dad? From Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Yeah. Like it, that is exactly what he's doing. I'm not. I'm not sure, and I, I won't speculate. Um, but I'm not sure if the actor was Camp, or he made a choice to play TJ Camp. Um, yeah. Um. <laughs> is he? I don't think he was. I don't think he did much afterwards. The actor. So. I don't think he did much after. I'm um, not sure if uh, putting gay after his name in Google. It brings him up on <laughs> uh, on a few gay horror websites. Um, okay. Could be. Yeah, probably from the shower scene. It could be from the shower scene. <laughs> oh yeah, dick slapping fetish dot com. <laughs> Maybe gay. We're not going to s- confirm. Maybe. Um, someone who's definitely not gay. Uh, Jensen Ackles. So, um, I mean, teenage me, you know, had the teenage crush on Jensen Ackles. Everyone did with who watched Supernatural. It was... I don't know. I think you were either a Sam or a Dean. I was definitely a Dean. Um, Sam was just too pretty for me. Not, not... God, that sounded awful. As in, like, too generically good-looking... If you get, you've seen both of them, you know. You need to watch your words here. Okay. <laughs> Jared Padalecki is not going to be listening to this podcast. It's fine, um, but no, it was just it, it was just too perfect. Yeah, but you're insinuating that generically good looking isn't your type. Oh, you know, you're, I'm sat right that's, next to you. Shut up, you. Okay, this is when I was a teenager. My taste has changed a lot. You do not look like Jensen Ackles. Um, that is a compliment. Um, yeah, because nowadays it's like, oh Jesus. Um, <laughs> It's not to say he's ugly, but things change. Okay. Within and Let's draw a line. Yeah. Start again. Jensen Ackles. Get teenage, out of hole you just Jensen did. Ackles' teenage crush, crush uh, blinded me to his awful acting. Um, yeah, I didn't watch Supernatural, so I was well aware of his uh, very shaky performance. <laughs> um, the eyes. The. Uh, the eyes, they weren't popping. They tell a story. But they tell a story. And whenever he seemingly gets intense, they go from like side to side really quickly. And we're going to get onto it, but Jamie King does that as well, where the eyes just like darting all around. It's very distracting. Um, yeah, yeah. His, his performance is rough. I mean, in Supernatural, he's uh, this womanising, cheeky guy, you know, comic relief, um, bit of a bad boy. So, it, I mean, naturally, you go into this and you're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm watching Dean from Supernatural. Not the case. And it's so weird seeing him trying to play a different character. I mean, you know, Jared Padalecki, it's like when we watched him in House of Wax. And he was trying to be a bad boy. Do you remember that? That was fucking oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I've, no, I've never seen yeah. Supernatural. Um, but then Jared Padalecki in Friday the 13th, he, he pretty much plays Sam from Supernatural, so it's less weird. Um, but Jensen Ackles is trying to go for something different here. Um, it didn't work. You don't want to be typecast. No. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not a lot to say. It's just... There's more to say about Tom the character than there is Jensen Ackles yeah. the actor. Let's just say his performance was not good. It's not um, great, ladies. His line delivery is weird. Um, but the character Tom, there's a lot of issues there. I'd have rather him just been a slime ball like TJ in the 80s. A big camp slime ball. Um, 
Yeah, it, it it's one where, like we said, the, the, the trope of slasher films is that if, essentially, PTSD equals you are now a murderer. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we all know not to be true. Um, it's very iffy. But we, we don't forgive it necessarily, but we maybe understand it a little more yeah. because of the time these films were made. Um, there's 29, uh, 28 years difference between these films. Mm-hmm. So by 2009, we really shouldn't have gotten the reveal that the guy who's been yeah, in a mental institution mm. for seven years, but been released, yeah, is this killer um, who has a, a split personality or yeah. is imagining um, uh, Harry Warden and I can't distinguish between what's real and, and what's yeah. not. Um, I just, it's just, it's a bit... By 2009, we'd seen it all in terms yeah. of that. And, you know, try something a bit new, something a bit different. You know, it's just... I find in a lot of these films, and we've watched a lot of horror films, is that a lot of the times the conclusion is people with mental health issues are murderers. Yeah. And we obviously know that not to be true. So when you see it time and time again, it's it, it becomes tired. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we seem to have gotten out of that um, stage now um, by modern standards mm. uh, when we're getting protagonists with PTSD uh, and mental health issues. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we've come a long way. But even 2009 is late for something like that. Um, for something that's not aged very well at all. I mean, of course, you had Split after this, but that's a whole other conversation for another episode. Because um, I believe there's a little more research done into that. Yeah. And based off certain real-life accounts and such. Yeah. Um, whereas something like this, it's just easy. It's just easy writing. Easy yeah, and like, lazy. Why is this person a killer? Oh, because... He's got to have mental health issues. Because yeah, he's got mental gotta health. Be. You know, that's why. Yeah. You know, I like a good old-fashioned revenge reveal. Or, mm. you know, um, why... It's why in the original I would I would have liked to... Actually they left, left him there. Do you know what, TJ? You're a dickhead. But they left him at the mine and drove off. That's yeah. a good enough reason. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and revenge. And, you know, obviously to be a... A mass murderer or a serial killer, you you have to be unhinged, mm. but that isn't necessarily goes hand in yeah. hand with the the mental health issues. So yeah, so I think it goes without saying the winner is Paul Kalman's TJ. Yes, Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer, <laughs> not from Twin Peaks. Oh. Oh, I thought you meant Screaming Laura's mum from Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, played by Laurie Hallier in 1981 and Jamie King in 2009. Um, it's difficult here because, I mean, Laurie Hallier does a better job performance-wise, but a character doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> no, no. She looks like Meryl Streep, but she has isn't given the range that Meryl Streep would have been given. 
uh, in the film. Um, essentially, she just needs to act scared. Yeah. And act fed up um, with the two guys. And that, that's about it, really. I started caring about her the moment she grew a backbone and stood up to uh, TJ and Axel. I'm that, getting that, patty that, a slap. Yeah, that, you know, those are the moments when I'm like, okay, yeah, it's the final girl that I care about now. Uh, but up until that point, it's just, just there. <laughs> yeah. Just there for two guys to fight over. It, it is. And again, I, I know I keep going on, but you see so many of these slasher films around the time and you can smell a final girl yeah. a mile off. So she just kind of does the generic final yeah. girl thing. Yeah, Jamie King has more to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> performance again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the isn't the best. Isn't the best. Better than Jensen Ackles. Um, <laughs> but uh, she also looks like Tracy Barlow in Creation Street. She absolutely, thank you for reminding me, <laughs> looks like the legendary Tracy Barlow from Coronation Street. She genuinely does. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the character, you know, she makes some... Dumb decisions. Uh, again, because of this love triangle. Mm. Um, you know, going off with Tom. Um, but again, she's dealing with two arseholes here. I mean, again, she should have just shot them both when she was in that mine. Exactly, exactly. So in the original, there's the love triangle, but it kind of seems like she's kind of enjoying it. Yeah. You know, I think she um, fakes her anger at the two of them a little bit. Whereas in the remake, she's been cheated on. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel for her a little more. And knowing that she has a child, um, not that oh, that's the be-all and end-all. Talk but... about bad performances, that fucking kid. Yeah. Jesus. He's only in this film, nothing else. It's no surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally, little side characters like that, you like you you, you can forgive, but fuck it out, it's a bit jarring. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both generic. That's they're, just, yeah, you know, it's generic final girl, cut and paste. Like who? Like who else was going to be the final girl? It's true. It's true. In both films, you know, I would have loved to have seen Sarah be the killer. Yeah. You're like, do you know what, guy? I've just had enough. I've just had enough of this shit. Just leave me alone. Uh, this bitch getting pregnant by my husband. I'll fucking get her in the supermarket. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd I'd say Jamie King probably just because her character gets more to do. Yeah, and she looks like Tracy Barlow. Axel, played by Neil Affleck in 1981 and Kerr Smith in 2009. Um, yeah, out of the three in the original, I think Axel gets the least about stuff to do. Oh my god. Like, yeah. he ends up being the killer. But yeah. I think that kind of helps um, because it is unpredictable because no one in this film is given any fucking character development. TJ acts suspicious so immediately you think it's him. Um, Axel's pretty much a non-entity over then when he's arguing over Sarah. Um, but then when, when he's the killer it's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, who, who'd have thought? <laughs> and then you... you Straight away, in quite a clunky style, you get the reasoning behind it. Yeah. Um, and you're like, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. It, it is a bit lacklustre, I think. 
um, his reveal at the end, because you don't really see him much through the film. There's he's not necessarily a red herring, because you forget he's there unless he's arguing with TJ. Yeah. Um. So it's just kind of the, the reveal. It's kind of a bit like well. By the time you get to the end, it's like, well, who is it? Because everyone mm-hmm. else is dead. Yeah. Uh, Axel is seemingly dead, but we haven't seen him. You know, in a film where the um, gore is prevalent, mm-hmm. and he just drowned, you like you wouldn't get that. So it it if you really thought about it, you would have guessed it. I'm thinking too much into this, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kurt Smith, again, you know, I think he does the best performance in the film in 2009. He does. He does a good job. He is so unlikable um, and so believable as the killer, uh, which completely throws you off. And that's entirely down to just Kurt Smith doing a good job of being unlikable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Um, You know, his stuff with Megan and the way he speaks to Sarah as well. Oh, my God. Like... It's a wonder she hadn't divorced him before that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Do you have anything else to say? No, it's really <laughs> difficult. I'm not being funny. These are... You've got a slasher film from 1981, low-budget slasher film from 1981, and then you've got a slasher remake, 3D film from 2009. You know, it's really difficult to kind of say anything that isn't they did a good job. They did a bad job. It, you're like trying to draw out the intricacies of a performance when there's not really much there. <laughs> but he does a good job. Yeah. So, Kurt Smith's the winner. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I know. I've just like gone against what this podcast is about. <laughs> trying to draw out as much from below budget horror as possible. Um, but yeah, he does a good job. <laughs> um, and finally... There's not a lot to say about... There's even less to say about these two. Chief Newby and former Sheriff Burke. Don Franks in 1981 and Tom Atkins in 2009. Practically just give this to Tom Atkins because it's Tom Atkins. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Atkins, um, he's a, he's a screen presence. He, he yeah. really is. Um, in the original, I mean, you remembered all his lines. Got them all <laughs> out there. Congrats. But it, go, it definitely goes to Tom Atkins. But our overall winner is the original My Bloody Valentine yes. from 1981. Yes. Um, again, great slasher film and one that you should absolutely be watching on Valentine's Day. And do it as a double bill with the remake because in one of those rare instances on this podcast, it's a duo of good films. Both fun slasher films. If you like gory slasher films that are fun to watch you don't really have to think too much about then i recommend both of these yeah absolutely so that brings us on to our best and worst of the month uh best and worst new releases of the month in case you're new to listening to these episodes first one of the year and what a good first month it's been for uh 2022 it's been a great start uh, best of the month. I'm assuming it's going to be the same for both of us. Yes. Uh, the best of the month is the controversial licorice pizza. Yes. <laughs> really enjoyed licorice pizza. Uh, I know people are um, up in arms about the the age difference in the film. 
Um, but I, I did, I did, I just, I don't feel like the film was about, I don't want to get too much into it, but I don't feel like that's what the film was about. Their relationship couldn't be any further from fucking romantic. It, it was not romantic. Um, I mean, it was romantic. Oh, oh, spoiler. Um, if, if you haven't watched Licorice Pizza, I'm about to give a spoiler <laughs> now. Um, fast forward 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, they get together in the end. Yeah. So, After that he... is romantic in the end. It's not a sexual film. No. I, I, I think that's what's... And I don't want to get too much into it, because it is kind of weird, the it's age weird. gap. It is weird. But he absolutely runs her down throughout that fucking film to the point she just gives in to him. Do you... Is that how you interpreted that, style, that film? Yeah. But also the fact that every man, not just uh, Cooper Hoffman, but every man in that film was predatory to her in some way or another or bugged her every single male character mm. apart from her dad do you think that was the point of the film i think so i think it's a look at the 70s as we know um you know we've just discussed a film that has an age variable in 2009 a lot of films haven't aged very well in the 70s uh i think it's also a look at weird age gaps and dodgy relationships from around from films released around that time as well very much a satire or just even commentary on it for that matter of fact. Because it does the same with a racist character as well. Yeah. You know, that's there to test how you react to it in a modern day audience. When it's taken from lots of stuff in the 70s where that was very much the norm. And people would laugh at it and, you know, no one would think anything of it. Yeah. So I think the whole relationship thing is very much part of that as well. Not ever. Do you know what? We've done how many episodes of this podcast? Every film is open to interpretation. Every film is open to a personal interpretation. Some films warrant more than other films. Yeah. Um, And I think what Licorice Pizza does is it gives you a film based on the 17s, you know, not an homage, I don't think. In parts. Uh, in, parts in parts, but this is a, a representation of cinema of the 70s. Yep. It's yep. very much in keeping with yep. that. And I think, and and I kind of appreciate this, and I think this is what um, Paul Thomas Anderson did. It's like, I've made this film, you have it, yeah, and you interpret it however you like. Yeah. Yes, there's an age gap, but it's not a sexual film. We're not no. seeing any you know anything sexual between them Mm -hmm. this is a film about people and about you know their lives and 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 such um and i really dug it i I really dug it i sound like i'm from this fucking it's genuinely it's i think it's a work of genius i think it's a masterpiece and i absolutely stand by that it's not a film you could just casually watch without thinking about because then yeah it probably does look a little fucking dodgy but it's a film that if you know the references and you sit down and you actually focus on it and you actually think about it, there's a lot to take away from it. Um, and I just, you know, what I'm trying to say is don't let any of the negative reviews put you off. It's absolutely worth watching. Yeah, it's... Because it's... for every negative review, it's had a positive one as well. You know, it's got all the Oscar buzz. It is a great film. Yeah, yeah. Watch it and make your own decision. Yeah. Make your own mind yeah. up because it's open to that. There's scenes that, that make you feel uncomfortable because that's what it's trying to do. You know those racist scenes; they're uncomfortable to sit through, 
Because it's saying, look, this is what was acceptable in the 70s. Yeah, because in the 70s, you would get jokes like that on primetime television. The, it's, a yeah. sign of, it's the sign yeah. of the time that it's showcasing. The fact that some people in our screening didn't realise that point and laughed at them is a little alarming. Exactly. <laughs> and that's when you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Who are we sat in the cinema with? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Um, a film <laughs> for our worst of the month. <laughs> really disappointing. A film that wants you to uh, sit and really think about it. Um, and really, there's not that much to uncover. Um, <laughs> we love Guillermo del Toro on this podcast. Um, one of my favourite directors. Um, he made some of the greatest films of all time. Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water... Um, the Devil's Backbone, you know, he is a fantastic director. I don't know where he went wrong with Nightmare Alley, our worst of the month. Yeah. It's... It's a strange one. Because all the ingredients should have made a delicious meal. Yeah. But it turned out flat. Yeah. It... It kind of... It felt empty. Yeah. Um, it was a slog at two and a half hours. Um, absolutely style over substance. Mm-hmm. I really... I, I really... I know it's a cliche, but I really do believe that. And it was just thoroughly disappointing because everything should have made it a five-star film. Yeah. And it didn't. It's no. I haven't got time to go into it, <laughs> but there's many aspects of the film that did not work for me. No, it's boring. Absolutely fucking boring. Um, you know, you're looking at two and a half hours of just uh, hardly any plot until the final twenty minutes. Oh my god! I turned to Gary um halfway through. Yeah, and I'm like, is it just me or? Is there no plot to this film? Yeah. Yeah. First big disappointment of the year, sadly. Um, on to our honourable mentions. We've been doing Japanuary. So we've watched Evil Dead Trap. A film we should have included on our uh, Malignant episode. Because it very much shaped Malignant. And yeah. Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think Evil Dead Trap would make a good podcast film as well. Yeah, yeah. Really so. enjoyable. Really, just a real fun horror film. Akira. Yes. Yeah, wonderful. Yokai Monsters, 100 Monsters. Yeah, that was... I I enjoyed that more than I thought I was going it's, it's to. It's weird. <laughs> weird. Um, it, it's the kind of weird that only the Japanese can do. Yeah. Really. And, uh, yeah, very fun. Uh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, uh, we are still on first-time watches, so you're very shocked when I say Seven Samurai. <laughs> Seven Samurai. Um, what can we tell you? <laughs> yeah. Um, that hasn't... Uh, what can we say that hasn't already been said about Seven yeah. Samurai? It's on so many top ten best films of all time lists, and justifiably. Throne of Blood. Yeah. The Hidden Fortress. Yeah. Yeah. Yojimbo. Yojimbo, yeah. Sanjuro. Sanjuro. My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah, we did uh, Kurosawa, um, Genius. 
you know, again, what can we say about Kurosawa that hasn't already yeah. been said? My Noble Totoro, I fucking love that film. Why I never watched these films when I was mm-hmm. younger, um, but still so enjoyable even now. Yeah. There's a fucking cat burst, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Definitely the film that inspired The Matrix. Princess Mononoke. Yeah, another five star from Studio Ghibli. Really um, just an enjoyable adventure yeah. film. And back on to uh, new releases this year, Parallel Mothers. Oh, loved Parallel Mothers. Um, it's a weird one. Yeah. It's a weird one. I It took me a while to figure it out afterwards. Um, but, yeah, very good. Uh, Belfast. Yeah, this one's been getting mixed reviews. I, I don't know why. For me, this is a perfect film. It's just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Such really a great, stylish it. film. Yeah. That, you know... It, yeah, it's just great. Really, really great. But kind of... I, I, I don't know. I, I just... I, I just... Almost a joyous film. Yeah. About a subject that isn't ne- isn't joyous. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we, we could go into... Again, another film we could go really into. You can tell the Oscar season's coming along, can't you? <laughs> yes. And finally, because everyone's thinking, oh, my God, they haven't mentioned it. Oh, my God. They haven't said a thing about it. Of course, Scream. Scream. We really enjoyed it. It was everything I wanted it to be. Yeah, I I absolutely loved it. It's the best one since the first film. There's just... It just fucking nails it. Everything that needed to be done is done. Um, You know, I I hope this does for modern audiences what the original did in, in the 90s because... It is a great modern horror film that really says a lot about everything that's relevant right now and does it perfectly. Yeah, the the filmmaker said that they made it with Wes Craven in mind. Mm. It absolutely has that feeling of a Scream film. Yeah. Um, it's modernised for a modern audience. It keeps things interesting as well with its characters. Um... They're different to yeah. what we, we normally get in a screen film, but stays true and faithful to the characters that are brought back as yeah. well. Um, I, I re- really I, I really enjoyed it. it. It did exactly what it needed to do. It was a screen film that felt true to the original trilogy, uh, trilogy that felt true to the original series. But with that modern spin. Yeah. Because, you know, each Scream film is a product of its time. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some reviews, people complaining that it's it's too meta or anything. Then why are you watching a Scream film? That's the idea. That's the point. That's the idea. And That's I don't know why. I've seen about five reviews complaining there's no chase scenes. Were you watching the right film? How, 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 there, was, there was so many chase scenes. <laughs> the fuck? Some some people are just uh, I think they're just nitpicking. I I really can't see how you could be a Scream fan and not enjoy this latest Scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like Scream, you're gonna you, yeah. you're gonna enjoy. If it. If you haven't seen it yet, if you like Scream, then you've probably already watched it, yeah. and you don't need us to tell you to go see it. Yeah. Uh, one older film you missed off. Did I? Yeah, Perfect Blue. 
Fuck, how did I miss that off? That made it into my top ten films of all time. Yeah. I, I thought you'd like to I am, yeah, absolutely talk perfect. about that a little absolutely bit. Absolutely perfect, Blue. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it other than you should probably, if you haven't seen it, do a triple bill of that, Mulholland Drive and Black Swan and thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> it is fucking weird. And, spend, and stay up all night trying to figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a perfect film. There's, there's not much more that can be said. It is absolute perfection. Yeah, it's... Um... Just to, for a animation as well, because yeah. sometimes with animation it can feel too family friendly, or there's a disconnect because you're not getting uh, an emotional acting masterclass or or, mm. or similar. Um, but it, it it's so well made and so well written that none of that matters, and it feels fully formed. Yeah, and it's always intriguing. It's always confusing, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So that is this month's Original vs. Remake episode. Uh, gave you our socials near the start of the episode, but for our socials individually, I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. A rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. Next month's original versus remake, we will be discussing House on Haunted Hill. Yay! Bringing you some more nineties horror. Yeah, that's kind of become our bag, hasn't it? Yeah. Which is good. Yes. yes, and of course, the original is a classic, which we briefly touched upon in our William Castle episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go and check that out in time for the next one, uh, for the next original versus remake. Before then, we will be back on Tuesday where we will be starting off our Valentine's and Women in Horror Month by discussing Strip to Kill. Yes, female directed horror film, Strip to Kill. Now, <laughs> the title sounds <laughs> pretty misogynistic, but it's a good um, film with its tongue firmly in its cheek so we'll have lots to talk about there is some great trivia for this one as well which i'm very excited to talk about but yes so we'll see you on tuesday bye